0: Hello, NCA podcast listeners. During the month of August, we will be replaying some of our most popular podcasts from the year. This podcast originally dropped in August of 2021 with guest Dan Matterson. Here, he discusses his book, Exploring Faith, a Guide to Retreat Ministry with Young People. This book is available for purchase on the NCA website store. We hope you enjoy today's podcast.
1: Greetings. Thank you for joining us on our NCA podcast. We're very glad that you're listening to us today. We're joined with by Dan Masterson, who is a wonderful person who is doing much work in, um, faith development and working with, um, young people to help them explore and learn their own faith. And today we're going to talk about Dan's book, which is called exploring faith. And it is a guide to retreat ministry and, um, I think if you have not read the book, you should. Dan, the book is really good. I had read it before when it came out, and I reread it this time to prepare for the podcast. And um, I kept thinking, I should have had this when I was a teacher. This would have helped. So even um, if you're a teacher and you think, oh, I don't really do this, I. I know I would use some of the stuff that you wrote in here in my classroom. So I'm just gonna say, although you wrote it, I I think with um, probably campus ministers in mind, I think it's a good resource for teachers too. So I'll get to all the questions. I'm a little too eager, I'm skipping parts. I need to slow down here. And Dan, could you
2: please introduce yourself first and then we'll get started. Yeah, hi, my name's Dan Masterton. I've worked in Catholic high school campus ministry in a few different schools for several years um after my first daughter was born i scaled back to part-time and still did campus ministry a little bit and now i work in vocation ministry doing um, some accompaniment and pastoral work and communications for the viatorians who are a men's religious community um, of priests and brothers together with lay associates um so just a little bit about myself
1: and you you live in the chicagoland area
2: Yes, I live in Bolingbroke, which is about 30 miles from the city, Um, but I grew up here in the suburbs, Um, and this is where my wife, Catherine, and my daughters, Lucy and Cecilia, and I are now.
1: Well, that's wonderful. So, Dan, before we go further, I have to know, Cubs or Sox?
2: Born and raised a Cubs fan, and I will acknowledge when we are not very good, and I will celebrate when we are very good, like we were five years ago.
1: You and me both. So I'm glad you're on the right side of that question. So, so that's good. But I have to tell you right now, I don't know who any of the Cub players are, but that's another story. Um, so I really do think that the book is good. And I wondered, why did you want to write this book? And when you were writing it, who was the audience you had in mind? Because I've already said, I thought teachers could get things out of it in addition to maybe campus ministers.
2: Of course. Well, I worked primarily in high schools, a little bit with middle school. And I think the, the greatest applicability would be for a Catholic high school campus minister. But I also think that there are a lot of teachers, um, staff members, administrators, and other um, volunteers and adults who are working in retreat ministry who could get a lot from it. And then I think some of the skills that come with small group faith sharing and facilitation, and then some of the logistics and philosophical things about accompanying youth could definitely be applicable to anyone who's in any youth ministry of any kind. But also anyone who's trying to pitch in or help with retreats i think could get something out of different parts of this too and it's broken up into chapters such that you really don't need to read it cover to cover anytime you want to look you could really reference particular topics as you need them
1: i think that's right and um one of the things that i really liked is your first chapter is what is a retreat and i was thinking because when I'm reading for a podcast, I'm looking for questions to ask, but I was thinking that is such a good way to start it. Just, you know, what's the definition and you have definitions, you have two or three pages about what a retreat is, but then you really do define it really well on the last page of that chapter when you talk about how you used to speak to students and how they should respond to how was the retreat, what was the retreat like when talking to their friends. And, and you said that they should say that we listened to talks, had discussions, did activities and shared prayer to learn more about ourselves, others, and God. And I thought that is the best definition ever. And I know you spent other pages doing other definitions, but I think that really is what a retreat is. And I think it, It's so powerful the way that you put it. So I don't know if anyone's ever noticed that before, but I think more adults would go to retreats if they had that definition in mind. So do you think that retreats should focus on building an experience that can be summarized easily? I think sometimes people think retreats have to be this deep moving experience or else they're a total failure. What do you think about that?
2: Yeah, I think it's really important that you identify the scope of what you're trying to do. So, like with a sixth, seventh grade group, you maybe only are trying to shoot for a morning or afternoon of reflection. So you might incorporate elements of a retreat, but I would say a you know two hour gathering in a multi purpose space is qualitatively different and should be from you know an upperclassman retreat in a high school like a Kairos or a senior overnight. Um, so I think if you can identify the scope of what you're trying to do you can cater to it specifically and i think if you start from a simple approach of identifying pillars like faith sharing witness talks prayer experiences you can kind of build out to say um you know how deep are we going to go how much detail how much length and you can cater it to something that fits an 11 12 year old group or 17 18 year old group accordingly
1: i i think i just think that's so important as a principal of an elementary school, we tr- we tried to have a retreat day and retreat experiences for all the students, kindergarten, well actually preschool. And, um, we were able to do it and I think fairly successfully, but we, it, it looked different at all age groups and I, and I think that was really important, but we did that because I felt retreat and the retreat experience was important to all children. Why do you think retreats matter so much?
2: I think uh, it's it's really important to acknowledge that faith formation and the development of a young person's spirituality has to happen in a, a few different ways simultaneously. So it certainly is important to have religious education and or theology and religion classes. It's very important to have regular community liturgies where you have masses, prayer services, opportunities for sacraments. But then it's also important to try to give them something that breaks them out of what they might identify as routine or kind of tedious or even boring. And I think retreats provide you a different um, context and format where you can do small group or large group or individual, you can do something loud and kinetic, or you can do something really quiet and contemplative, you can do something artistic, you can do something with writing. And I think when you find mixes of those that differentiate to different student personalities and learning styles. Um, you're also speaking to different spiritualities and different, um, strengths of different students, um, mindsets and ideas about how they want to engage socially. So I think a retreat gives you a complementary way to build on what they're finding in parish life and in their Catholic school community and give them something that they're doing with their peers, preferably also peer leaders who are supported by adults, where they're kind of getting ownership and a unique seminal experience in a way that doesn't discount what they find in a parish or a school, but complements and supplements it. Um, So I would say if you give them a really substantial retreat, it becomes something that's kind of a catalyst for them growing towards an owned faith because they have something that they themselves were the actualizers of, you know, in community with their small group of peers, their peer leaders, and their trusted adults who are helping them along the way there.
1: And I think for like teachers, because as a principal, I think your book just would have been so helpful to me, um, because I really did want to give people that time to pause and reflect on their faith life, however that might look. And what do you think about that idea? Because I worry that our teachers, there's always so much to do, and we're all so very busy. It's not just Catholic school teachers, but all adults. We have full lives, and we don't take the time, the moments for quiet reflection. So do you think a retreat experience for adults, if it was short but tailored to adults like we do for children, what do you think of that idea? Do you think that would work? Do you think that would help? Because I, I worry about all of us in, in our faith lives.
2: Yeah, I think one of the things with faculty is you're usually looking at you know part of a day, probably part of a professional development or in-service day. So like when I was tasked with doing that for my peers, one of the things I did from the get-go when I had this 90-minute window was this morning we're not going to worry about mixing and matching. I don't want you to sit at a random table. I'm not going to randomly number groups. I wanted everyone sitting in groups they're comfortable with, people they're already friends with, or people they work closely with. Because in a short period of time, you don't want to try to break the ice and force people into a socially uncomfortable situation.
1: I have to tell you, Dan. If you did that with most teachers, they would just thank you right there. Just <laughs> you not do—they yeah. want to be with their their peeps, and I think that, I I think we overlook that sometimes because we want everyone to know each other and love each other, and that's great. But I just have to have to stop you for a moment and say I think that's brilliant.
2: Yeah, I I think there's a time and place to try to mix and match and encourage collaboration you know, maybe on a full day in service where you're trying to reevaluate mission ideals of the school or in a situation where you're trying to have teachers from different disciplines chip in their perspective on how to, you know, change student evaluation or something. But for a spiritual development window that's so small, I think skip the icebreakers, skip the mix and match, let people start from a place of comfort, and then you can sort of hit the ground running and really max out what you get in those 90 minutes. And frankly, I would just go... What I did that morning, for example, is just three 30-minute movements. I had three 10-minute mini-talks, three 10-minute periods where I just played music and and had people journal on questions and talk at their tables, and then 10 minutes for a share out. Just that simple, individual, small group, large group was a really easy, simple way, the 90 minutes flew by, I got a lot of positive feedback. I'm sure it wasn't perfect, but it was something manageable. And I think hopefully over a longer term, you could build towards maybe a retreat off campus or an overnight or something more intensive But when you're jamming things into the start of a school year or institute days. That's probably something more manageable for most faculty and staff.
1: Yeah, and I like the way your book talks about the use of small groups. I hadn't thought about it too much but it's really kind of like a lesson plan and i think that's why i like the book so much this time when i read i liked it the first time but when i went through it this time i was really like i said looking for things that i thought teachers or principals would be interested in and it really is like a lesson plan where you do whole group instruction then you do work in small groups and then you see if everybody's progressing and And that's kind of the way you wrote that book. Can you talk about small group activities? Because I found that part of the book to be really, really interesting and, and important.
2: Yeah, I have to be honest. When I first started campus ministry, I was made to teach out of necessity and I never imagined myself being a teacher, but because I had charitable peers and and supervisors, I was able to take pieces of teaching that I was able to you know, process and apply them to ministry in, in effective ways, I hope. So when it comes to small groups, for example, it's the idea that some people express themselves really well in individual reflection, contemplative time, writing periods. Other people really prefer to be in front of a group and that energy sort of lights them up and gets them going. Small group kind of gives you a little bit of both. You can have an opportunity for individual journaling time so people can read what they wrote if they have trouble kind of riffing on the spot about what they're thinking and feeling. But you also could have free-flowing conversation where people are playing off of each other and a small group facilitator is able to recognize threads in people's responses. And I always say like the best small group facilitator or student leader is kind of like a traffic cop. Like if you think of a police officer standing in an intersection where the light has gone out basically what they're doing is they're just telling certain people to go and other people to wait. And then they're changing it around and telling other people to wait and other people to go. But the traffic never stops moving. And so the best small group facilitator is one who can build a dynamic of trust and comfort and confidentiality where you're basically just giving people the space to get out what's in their heart and mind and take turns in a way where the conversation can build off of the resonances that you're discovering amongst people. And it's amazing. Some teenagers just need a moment to realize that what they're thinking and feeling or going through it might be unique to them in the specifics but some of the general emotions behind it or some of the larger themes of the challenges and issues they're facing are things that their peers are going through in parallel and those moments of resonance and realizing you're not alone is is really what our community life ought to be about so you might be able to get that in a classroom or in a lunchroom or in an extracurricular but if you have a really good um, retreat program with small group um discussion times built in generously those are the moments where that maybe can happen best Um, and when difficult things come up that exceed the capacity of a student leader or your average teacher that's when you make a referral to your retreat director and you work with your social emotional counselors to ensure that a student gets the support they need for something that is maybe a little extra difficult.
1: I think that's right and I think that sometimes people are afraid to do retreats because they're they're fearful of what might happen and um, I think your book encourages them appropriately that it's going to be okay and um, if those issues came up they needed to come up. Um, They don't come up randomly they come up because there was a need for the student to express that so I think the book does a really good job of um addressing that and and how you can handle it um you said something just a a minute or two ago that I think it also is very important you said that what I did wasn't per I'm sure it wasn't perfect but it was okay and I think that's part of what keeps teachers and principals sometimes from doing retreats either with colleagues or with you know um children we always want to be perfect we always want it to be really good and it's okay to be okay and I think, I think sometimes we, we forget about that because we are always striving for excellence, but I'm not even sure what excellence means in a retreat experience. What would you say excellence means for a retreat experience?
2: Yeah, it's, it's very true. And it's something that campus ministry and certain administrators struggle with because it's not an easily evaluatable success, so to speak. You might be able to say so many people applied to lead a retreat or so many people became involved in campus ministries or liturgical ministries after going on one but the thing with retreats is that you don't really know the quality of the retreat ever you might see um, things that happen in students in the weeks or months or even years after a retreat but it's almost impossible to quantify it's a real test of can you put your best foot forward can you do your, your best most faithful effort in recruiting, screening, and choosing leaders, in inviting young people to come on the retreat, in creating a safe environment, a supportive environment where they can share themselves and offering a really robust um, opportunities for prayer and sacraments. And then you kind of have to like give it over to the Holy Spirit and do your best upon your return to campus to funnel students into continued engagement, whether it's through liturgical ministries, service and justice outreach, Um, you know, becoming more curious and active in their theology classes, et cetera. Um, So yeah, it's very much a tightrope walk because you kind of need people to buy into it in an abstract way. There isn't, you know, it's not like college admissions or um, scholarship offers or student athletes, you know, records on the fields and courts. It's very, very much abstract. So it's a little bit of a test of trust and it definitely challenges Catholic schools to prioritize time and budget towards something that you just kind of have to accept as being integral and important to Catholic school identity. So,
1: Dan, I, th- I think that one of the things that you do really well in your book is that you identify and teach how to choose a theme or a topic. I think sometimes when teachers or principals are thinking about doing a retreat, they can't think of a theme. So then the work just stops. Because if we don't have a theme, we can't do the retreat. And I really liked how you begin the chapter when you talk about, you know, looking at student writing and things may emerge that can turn into a theme, but could you talk about the need for themes or how you choose a topic um, so that our listeners can think about that in a new way? Because I, the way you put it is, it was new to me and it was a good way to think about it.
2: Yeah, I definitely think it helps to sort of have your, your flagship retreats like a Kairos or like a, a time-tested freshman retreat, um, like maybe the on-campus, you know, one-day Saturday model I described in there. Um, But then from there, you can get more creative for sure. Um, I talk about the process that a colleague and I did looking to fill a gap in our program where we needed a one-day retreat for um, a sophomore class. And we noticed this sort of um, gap between students coming into our school and getting acclimated and then students taking ownership of their identity as members of our school community and as young Catholics. And so we wanted to create a movement that could bridge them from that acclimation to ownership. So we found this sort of social science study about um, being, belonging, and then bestowing and kind of unpack those three movements into a few small group, large group activities and discussions. Um, And then kind of looked from there, from our theme to differentiate with some kinetics, some artistic, some writing, some liturgical prayer experiences. And so you kind of have to work from a theme out into the specifics. And um, that was one way we did it by looking at maybe what the deficits or needs are in our community. You can certainly look to the traditions of religious communities that are in your area, or even if one sponsors your school, look to the writings of your religious community's founder. Um, or talk to the professed members of that community about what in the charism or the roots of the community speak to them. Um, You can also um, get a little bit zoomed out and kind of work from social things and then see where scripture and tradition can inform those. So like I worked with peers to build a senior retreat. We were trying to address issues of adulthood, like integrity, responsible socialization, healthy sexuality. And we took the social topics and then kind of figured out what our faith says about them and infused elements of scripture and tradition into the outlines that we gave to our adult speakers um, and into the discussion questions that we challenged our students to think about in discussion. So there's a few different paths to take to it um, and you definitely don't need to be fatigued or insist upon perfection um, because one of the great things is year after year, you can be reviewing and tweaking and leaving yourself notes to improve and refine. So. Um, like you said, Kathy, it's it's okay to strive for perfection, but acknowledge that sometimes you need to do a bit more thorough review and adjustment. So.
1: Right. And again, I I hope this book encourages more people to offer retreats. High schools do a a pretty good job, especially with their senior retreats. I find those to be very effective across the country. But I want to encourage others, elementary schools, to look at a retreat experience. It doesn't have to be that elaborate, which your book says. And then also principals for their faculty. we don't spend enough time doing this and I think our teachers would actually appreciate it especially if you don't make them do an icebreaker at the beginning. So um, I think it, it, it's really something for people to consider and um, your book makes it easy. Just for um, for everyone's knowledge um, and information, you know, Dan's book has a lot of things. Um, I appreciate the the role of adults because You know you may need help you may need to bring in some parents or people from the outside and i think that the way you described using adults to help is a good idea and the idea that teachers because i know when teachers go you have to pay the substitute and dan you address that head on and i appreciate that because sometimes the retreats end up costing money and people always go kind of crazy when you spend money in a catholic school but, you know, again, you've addressed that in the book. And I think it's really important that um, people take a moment to read it and reflect upon it and figure out, you know, w- are we putting our money where our mouth is? Because that's that's really important. So, Dan, you said you weren't a teacher and you had to kind of learn how to be a teacher. I have a feeling you were more of a teacher than you knew at the, from the get-go. But um, this is a question I ask all people I interview, and that is, what's the best lesson you've ever
2: learned? Oh, wow. Um, wow. I, th- I think in terms of campus ministry, um, just to try to bracket it a little bit, um, my first year teaching a half load of theology and then working half my time in campus ministry, I had a very kind principal who was very interested in helping us grow and very interested in keeping close contact with us. And when I told him I was frustrated about teaching and I felt like it was pulling me away from the things that I was more gifted in and and wanted to focus more on, he took his, his reading glasses in his hand and he put them on and he said, I think that you have a pair of glasses that you call your teacher glasses and you have a pair that you call your campus minister glasses and you don't think you can wear both at once. And he said, when you realize that you can do campus ministry while you teach and that you're teaching while you do campus ministry, I think you're gonna unlock a lot more of your ability. And I, I, I hated how right he was because I think I was better at teaching than I gave myself credit for, even if I still don't think I was that good. But when I invited the things I was learning, even if reluctantly as a teacher into my ministry, I was better at formulating and directing retreats, better at training students, more receptive to student needs. And it, it does, it unlocks a lot more of your ministerial potential when you let the two come together in dialogue like that. So uh, to Chris Alling, thank you for <laughs> looking out for me from from year one.
1: That's, that's a great lesson. And I have a feeling that locking those two um, viewpoints together were, was probably the Holy Spirit. So um, I always leave room for the Holy Spirit in there because I think that um, that the Holy Spirit was probably playing a role in that. That's a great, great lesson. So principals, you don't know what influence you're having on your teachers. That's good. Um, Dan, what's the best lesson you ever taught?
2: Um, That one, I I, when I did kind of get my groove with teaching, um, you know, teaching a lot of students who come to Catholic school from a non-Catholic background because of the school environment or the financial aid available and the outcomes that Catholic schools can offer you have to be a little creative when you're teaching theology in trying to teach a faith to students who maybe don't believe in it or have no interest in learning about it. Um, And so I kind of developed an approach when we would do a unit, especially I was teaching a lot of Catholic social justice, um, social uh, issues, ethics and morality. um, And I had a lot of pushback from students who didn't agree with church teaching or what the church calls us to do in response to social issues. And so what I would tell them is, I don't need you to believe me. I don't need you to accept what I'm saying as what you believe, but I need you to understand it. And my hope was always that I could get the students to be charitable enough to the witness of the Catholic Church and Catholic tradition, such that it would at least be a part of their social consciousness when they were making their own choices and going into adulthood, that even if they didn't necessarily take the stance that the Catholic Church would encourage them to take, that the rationale and the gospel calls and the things that we believe that underpin the consistent ethic of life and our approach to social justice would at least be a part of their, their conscience um, as they make their own choices growing up. So I don't need you to, to believe this, but I need you to understand it. It was kind of the lesson I would always strive for.
1: And that's a good start because, you know, you'll believe it if you do understand it. You probably, yeah you probably need that belief, uh, that understanding to help you believe. So the, I think that's probably a very good lesson to have taught. Um, and it's, again, in our work, it's hard to see what, what impact we're having. But over time, we know that we do have an impact on a lot of students and in a very positive one. I hope that our listeners will um, check out the book, Exploring Faith. Dan puts his email in the book so that you can email him if you wish. Um, and it, it really is an easy read and it is, um, like I said, it. Uh, there's so many ideas that I took from it. That I'm thinking if I was a principal again, I wouldn't be afraid of the, of the faculty retreat. And um, I really do wish I would have had it when I was a principal those many years ago. So um, I hope that our listeners will consider um, looking it up and seeing if what they could take from it, because there's, um, there's a lot of great information in there. Dan, is there anything you want to end with? It's something that I didn't ask you that you want to share, or just any kind of parting thought?
2: Um, When I was able to give a session at NCA earlier this year, Um, I tried to identify kind of the central pillars or values of retreats so that people could either like audit their retreat programs or if they're maybe starting from scratch or rebooting after COVID, that they would know where to turn. So I would say, if nothing else, if you don't know where to start or what to prioritize and you're trying to build a retreat program, try to build the content of the retreats around witness talks, faith sharing, and student leadership, student leaders who are formed by trusted adult mentors um, with good faith formation so witness talks um, small group faith sharing large group faith sharing and student leadership and formation if those are your three starting points you can build out something really healthy
1: that that's great and i love the student leadership part i didn't even get to that but that i mean students can do so much if we let them you know yeah
2: walk walk closely with them and then try to stand a little bit out of the way where you can pop in if they need the help but you can let them you know blossom and flourish when they're ready to
1: right and the witness talks that that kids give oh my they're so wise beyond their years. so um i agree let let them let them share what they know about jesus and god and the holy spirit and we i'm seldom disappointed they do do great work
2: yeah with a little bit of adult um, support in terms of what's appropriate to share and how to share it and just helping them with language a little bit their witness is usually just right on the cusp of something really amazing
1: it is and i've even noticed during the olympics we're recording this while the olympics are going on but a lot of people are sharing faith stories during these olympics Um, a lot of catholic school grads a lot of catholics um, who are participating, and, and they are sharing their story. So I think somewhere along the way, the idea of evangelization is hitting in the hearts of many of our, of our um, students, our, our alumni, and, and our faithful companions. So it's, it's really nice to see, and um, I don't know how many times I've seen the sign of the cross being made after a race or after a competition, and um, I'm grateful that that outward sign is available to all of us.
2: Yeah, it's it, it's a beautiful witness, and it's something that hopefully they started to learn when they were in their Catholic schools and parishes as young people.
1: I, I'm sure that's where it began, and so I'm grateful for all of those people, those teachers and catechists who are leading the way. Thank you, Dan, for joining us. I really appreciate your time, and I appreciate the idea that you took the time to write the book. Um, it, Like I said, it it is really good and I think that people should um, should consider it and I hope more people will consider, you know, what is the retreat I can do? What is the retreat I can lead? And you will have a program. If you start with this book and start with one, I, I truly believe you can build a program that will help students um, in their faith development or teachers in their faith development. So thank you all for listening. Thank
0: you, Dan. Join NCA's Laura McDonald and Jessica Roberts on a virtual trip to classrooms across the country. Beginning in September, our podcast will welcome Catholic educators to have conversations about teaching in Catholic schools. We will discuss teaching strategies, tips and tricks, lesson ideas, and so much more. We hope you will join us starting in September. Subscribe and be sure to tell a friend.